Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Today, the big show is on Not Sam Wrestling. We've got a pay-per-view to break down what happened at the horror show at Extreme Rules, plus a rare Q&A for the 300th time. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome! Here we are, episode 300 of Not Sam Wrestling, and thank you all for being here. What a trip. 300 episodes. It's actually way more than 300 episodes because of all the bonus shows we've put out, because of all the Thursday Not Sam Thursdays. There's been like 50 Thursday Not Sam Thursday shows. To go up exclusively over at patreon.com slash wrestling for all the Not Sam shills. But in terms of the marquee show, the weekly Not Sam Wrestling show, there have been 300 weekly shows for the 300th week. I'm coming to you. And I, it tripped me out because I realized that I think... I want to say at episode 200, we made the big move from Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast to Not Sam Wrestling. And this being episode 300, that means that was like two years ago? That doesn't, I mean, that's crazy. I think if we did the switch to episode 200, man, a lot of history. So one of these days, I'll get somebody to do a classic history of Not Sam Wrestling. You know, I appreciate all you guys keeping the podcast alive. It's not about me, you know, sitting down in the studio once a week and talking about wrestling. That doesn't seem like a great of an accomplishment. I mean, if I had a podcast or not, I would have spent the last 300 weeks talking about wrestling. That's the whole reason why this podcast exists. But it's the fact that uh, you guys have remained interested. And the podcast landscape has changed immensely. Since we started, I mean, the amount of wrestling content that is out there on the internet, it used to be this thing where, uh, hey, the more the merrier. If a bigger podcast comes along, it's just going to draw more eyes to this one, right? And now it's literally, there are more good podcasts that you should be listening to than there are hours in the week. So the fact that you guys still make the time uh, once a week for an hour and a half or so to sit down with me and break down some of what's going on in wrestling. Uh, I appreciate it. We've gone through lots of changes on the show. We've gone through lots of evolutions um, to being a, we, we, we've had, uh, I don't know, a official co-host, but basically co-host, Katie Linendahl era. We had, uh, you know, the first several years, it was an interview every single week. It, 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 tons of stuff has happened on this show, but we'll get into all that. This isn't, after all, and I would, by the way, we've done lots of live shows, and those are some of my favorite things that we've done. As much as it gives me anxiety to put them together, actually doing them 
is some of my favorite stuff. And to look back, I got an email, and I posted it on my Instagram a couple weeks ago. I got an email from uh, one of the great fellows, Greg Charles, at Caroline's on Broadway. And he had found a photo from one of the uh, Summer Sam shows uh, with myself, with Kathy Kelly, with Sasha Banks, with Seth Rollins. And I remember that was X. I loved that Summer Sam. That might have been the last live Summer Sam, at least at Caroline's. Um, but I've always, there's so many moments that we've had at these live shows that we've done. And I am sure that had it been possible to get people to venues right now, not Sam 300 would be lining up a live show, but it just gives us a reason. Maybe, maybe 350, maybe Summer Sam, maybe that tradition continues on for episode 350 next year. Who knows? Who knows where we'll be at? All we can do is celebrate today. Uh, and the fact that we've made it to episode 300. But look, this is not uh, the Not Sam Wrestling. Not This is not Not Sam's Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling, meaning what we're supposed to be talking about is wrestling here. Not Not Sam Wrestling. Does that make sense? Although, after the Good Brothers announcement, apparently everybody's talking about Not Sam Wrestling. I was doing this, uh, you know, I do the Patreon-exclusive Thursday podcast. I do the bonus show for the people uh, for the Not Sam shows on Patreon. And I've been talking about Not Sam Wrestling Backyard Wrestling. It's this fantasy backyard fed that I created after all the wrestlers got released from WWE. And I said, if I had a million dollars, you know, if I had money that I, that I could just spend, I would absolutely, in a time when we can't do live shows, I would absolutely fly a bunch of that talent in and put together backyard wrestling shows with high-profile people. I would create a backyard wrestling fed, but get a real ring and a real entranceway and get top-tier talent to come in and do my shows that way. And then the Good Brothers do their big, you know, interview and announcement thing over the weekend, and they announced that they're going to Doc Gallo's backyard to do a pay-per-view. And I was like, what? And then I'm looking at who's on the show, and I'm like, this is literally... My whole plan. You did it already. Now what am I going to do? I mean, you know, we can continue on with Not Sam Wrestling Backyard Wrestling, I'm sure. But I don't know. I guess I got to be flattered. I guess when you see your ideas pop up everywhere, you got to be flattered. Because at the very least, it means great minds think alike. Right? And with me, there's always going to be more ideas. But I did see that. I did see that. Speaking of the Good Brothers, it was a big wrestling weekend. Uh, of course, Impact had their pay-per-view anniversary. And there's a lot of questions in the air. Who's going to be there? Everybody knew there was going to be some people there. It's the first show it's, that has arrived since the deadline or uh, the non-compete ended for all the wrestlers that got released from WWE a few months back. Uh, and we saw an appearance from the Good Brothers, which was actually announced in advance. We saw EC3. We saw Heath Slater. Lots of title changes. Eddie Edwards, the new uh, Impact champion. Deanna Perrazzo is the uh, knockouts champion, which is a big, I mean, she said that, you know, she wanted to get out there and, and, and make a bigger splash than she was making in NXT, and I guess this is a way to do it, hold some gold. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for Deanna, and I'm happy for Impact, man. I like that, that Impact is back to at least creating some kind of chatter. That's what you need in wrestling. That's what we've been talking about on the show, creating, doing things that create chatter is what you need to do. And Saturday night, I feel like the wrestling internet was talking about Slammiversary. 
and the new people that were showing up. And, you know, with all these people, Heath, EC3, Good Brothers, the new champions, clearly TNA is going, or, or Impact, is going into a new direction. So we'll see, man. It could get real interesting. It sucks that there's no fans there, but it could get real, real interesting. Um, I would say that uh, there's a lot of interesting response to the horror show at Extreme Rules. The horror show at Extreme Rules. Uh, not a lot of opinions on it is the thing. Nobody really, just kidding. Uh, the Twitterverse, of course, a uh, lot of toxicity about this pay-per-view, a lot of negativity. I read uh, a lot of people that uh, some of the matches people enjoyed, they didn't like the finishes, they didn't like the stipulations. There was a lot of, a lot of the, the wackiness people didn't like. But then I went into the Not Sam Wrestling Discord room where the shills hang out on Patreon, and the majority of the people in that room were digging the pay-per-view. So, you know, I guess it just depends on on where you go. I get the criticisms. I mean, let's talk about the pay-per-view a little bit. I, I would say the biggest surprise on the pay-per-view is probably Nakamura and Cesaro winning the tag team championships, although some people thought that that might happen. Nakamura and Cesaro did win the tag team championship. They are your new tag team champions, and I think it's a good move. You know, there's something about the New Day where if they're going to be tag team champions, they need to be part of a big storyline because otherwise they have had those tag titles for so long, and they are so high at the top of that tag team mountain that when the New Day hold the title, it's, it's almost like it's part of their attire. Like, it's just a given. I don't think, you know, the New Day might, I don't think that the Tag Team Championship adds anything to the New Day. The New Day might add to the Tag Team Championship because it's almost like, it's, you know, the reverse is that when the New Day aren't the Tag Team Champions, it's almost like when John Cena wouldn't be champion. You know, the stuff that like CM Punk would complain about or other people complain about where, you know, you're back to WrestleMania 11, where the champion is Diesel, but he's not wrestling in the last match. I mean, you don't even have to go to WrestleMania 11. You can go to, uh, I think it was WrestleMania 28, I want to say. Yeah, CM Punk versus Jericho. I didn't go on last, even though it was the WWE Championship match. You know, you had to get to a John Cena Rock match. So, and, and that happened a few times during CM Punk's title reign, right or wrong. Uh, and it, and it and it comes down to sometimes you end up in a situation where there is a bigger star in the company than your champion, and there can be a benefit to that. You know, if you're gonna you you got to put your biggest star on last, and if there are people that are tuning in to see John Cena, and because they are waiting for John Cena, they watch CM Punk. That could be something. There could be something there. I understand at least the logic. You know, it's undeniable who the biggest stars are regardless of what their names are. it's all, That's an undeniable thing. And sometimes you want to take the titles off them because it becomes a thing where you can't build anybody else under them. So there is a thing where even though Nakamura and Cesaro are the tag team champions, no, they're not a better tag team than the New Day. There is no better tag team than the New Day. I mean, the New Day is like from a different era. They're so good. It's like, the Road Warriors, Demolition, the Hart Foundation, 
the New Day. You know? I mean, they're one of those iconic teams. There's You can never take anything away from them as a team. They're one of, the, they're one of, if not the best tag teams of all time. They're the Freebirds of the modern era. So I think that, but at the same time, I think that it is valuable to get the tag team championship on other teams. And I think it's really valuable to get guys like Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura in a position where they can hold titles. They were onto something, I think, with that uh, wrestling collective, I think is what they were called, with Sami Zayn and the, the group of them. I thought that group was great, but obviously Sami hasn't been on TV for a long time. So what do you do with Shinsuke and Cesaro in the meantime? I think Shinsuke and, uh, and Cesaro could be a, a, an a amazing team. If they just start tearing through everybody, you know, just, just, just an international powerhouse. I hope that they leave those titles on Shinsuke and Cesaro for a very long time. Because I think they're great. I think they're great. Now, I'd say the most disappointing thing about Extreme Rules is that we did not... The Intercontinental title wasn't even defended, so we couldn't go with my Undisputed Era plan. We can still do it on SmackDown this week, but we couldn't go with my plan. It's interesting. We're in an interesting time, you know? I think that the, the something that one of the takeaways was was you look at this show, and it's like, you could have done AJ. AJ Styles' Matt Riddle put on a clinic on SmackDown, an incredible match. You could have put that on the pay-per-view. Last night on Raw, it hasn't happened yet at the time of this taping, but last night on Raw, you had Randy Orton versus Big Show. Theoretically, at least on paper, that's a match that you could put on this pay-per-view. But the WWE is clearly prioritizing TV and big matches to draw people to those TV shows in a different way than they were before. So it's one of those juggling acts they have to do. It's like I was saying on the on the Thursday podcast that you could clearly see in the go-home Raw, more so than usual, that while there was a push to the pay-per-view, there was just as big a push to tune in next week on Monday Night Raw, which I think is really interesting. Um, you've got Bailey over Nikki Cross. Not a surprise. Um, they're starting a thing with Nikki Cross where the losses are starting to get to her. I do wonder after this pay-per-view, based on a couple of things, which we'll get to, if the Nikki Alexa Bliss partnership is coming to an end. Probably wouldn't be a... I don't think that would be a bad thing for Alexa Bliss. You know, I think we forget that at one point Alexa Bliss was the top woman in the company, arguably. That Alexa Bliss was at least one of the biggest female stars in the company, if not the biggest female star. Um, and then after a couple injuries... She wasn't in the ring for a while uh, and has been kind of finding her spot ever since. Uh, I don't think it would be a bad thing for Alexa to split from Nikki. I, I, I hope that there is a vision, though, for Nikki beyond that. That's the one thing that I worry about, that if you split Alexa and Nikki Cross, what happens with Nikki? Because I think Nikki Cross is an amazing performer, and I think she deserves to be in a, in a high-profile position. But what is that position? That's the question. Um, they're starting a thing, obviously, where the losses are starting to get to her. You know, the conversation happened with her and I think Bliss and the Kabuki Warriors. But um, clearly she lost. And, and yeah, she should have lost. Bailey and Sasha Banks are the best thing on TV right now. So, you know, if Nikki Cross had 
beaten Bailey, I would have been scratching my head big time. So that I didn't have any problem with that. Um, Apollo Crews not on the pay-per-view, obviously for reasons beyond the control of WWE. So MVP named himself United States champion. I mean, at this point, you might as well. You let MVP debut the title. You let MVP have the title on Raw the next week. You let MVP walk into the pay-per-view with the title. At this point, and the rules theoretically state that MVP won that match via, via forfeit. So, you know, and if Apollo Crews comes back and he's got the United States title, he's going to be wearing the old one. So even if you do a Razor Sean, you know, two title match, Apollo doesn't have a copy of the new one yet. He hasn't even been at Raw to get one. So, you know, I, I, I think this is what you do. Eventually, Apollo Crews comes back and beats MVP. You know, who knows? I mean, maybe Apollo Crews shows up and beats MVP on Raw tonight. Look, I think truly MVP has been doing so much in this era. And I don't even think everybody can catch up with what he's doing. He's doing commentary on main event. He's hosted Raw Talk. He's managing. He's wrestling. I don't know if he's producing as well, but he probably is. I mean, why not get that out of him too? Um, you know, I, 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 I can't believe, you know, we talked to him right after the Royal Rumble, and, and I don't think anybody, including himself, foresaw the meteoric rise that he would be on as a performer this year, doing some of the best, uh, certainly the best stuff he's done in many, many years. Um, you know, it's on par with some of his early, really good WWE stuff. Uh, I think, though, that MVP should have a faction. I think it should be MVP, Bobby Lashley, Cedric Alexander, Apollo Crews. But I think it should be a babyface faction. I think those four guys with MVP as babyfaces, I think you could set the world on fire. Um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of was what it was. What are you going to do? You know, it gives Apollo Crews something to fight for when he gets back, but it's tough doing that, man. That's your second singles title. That's your second tier singles title. And it's been used as a prop for months. And it sucks for Apollo Crews because the United States championship was used to boost Apollo Crews. He was finally after years. I mean, this guy came to NXT Showed up with a bang, got a couple of victories, got sent to the main roster really fast, and has done nothing since. In years of being on the main roster, he's done nothing. Finally, they decide, okay, let's make Apollo Crews a focal point. Get some victories, get the United States Championship to let the audience know this is for real. And then he gets into a position where he can't wrestle on TV. And now that title, not only can he not defend it, and it, here's what really sucks, that they did that storyline injury to take him out of the Money in the Bank match. And that's the risk of these things. Because the storyline injury getting him out of the Money in the Bank match it could be fine. It could build sympathy for him, you know, and, and, and make it so that he doesn't have to lose that Money in the Bank match. That's fine. But if he has a storyline injury that takes him out of the Money in the Bank match, and then he has real life that takes him out of horror show at Extreme Rules in the two weeks of Raw leading up to it, then as a fan, you start going like, I don't know, sometimes he's here, sometimes he's not. And it's out of his control. It sucks for him, though. It's just, it's a situation that sucks. But it also sucks for that United States Championship. You know, you're not 
going to be able to build prestige on that title, whether it's a new title or not, if MVP is just walking around with it as a prop because, you know, they let him show it to the world even though it's not his. And now he's, because he, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough situation, man. It's a tough situation, but if anybody can make the best of it, it's going to be MVP. Um, you had your uh, Sasha Banks over Asuka question mark? This was a, a finish people did not like uh, because the match was so good. But I think that there's something that you have to keep in mind. Like the Sasha Banks-Asuka match was so good. And by the way, I said, I've been saying for years, when Sasha Banks is a heel, there's nobody better. You go back. We're talking about being at episode 300, okay? There's a lot of people on the Sasha Banks bandwagon right now. A lot of people. Go back. I'm talking predating TakeOver Brooklyn 1. You can go back over five years. And you've got the last professional broadcaster being the first person, by the way, to declare Sasha Banks my favorite wrestler. I've been on this bandwagon since day one. Anybody that's been with me that long knows that you can't, you, you can't deny that. I saw Front Row sending out a tweet going, this is true. He said it publicly. He said it privately. I've never wavered on that. I've never wavered on it, okay? And that's in the history books. That's why it's so great having a podcast that's been around for five years. You know, there is a risk when you're wrong, it stays there forever, but I'm not wrong very often. And when you're right, there's all this great evidence of it. You know, you can even have Ryan Papapola on the bump talking about, you know, how great he thinks Sasha Banks and Bailey are. And that's great. But he sent me a tweet today inviting me to his club. And I said, no, Ryan Papapopola, no, you are in my club. Let's keep that in mind, okay? That'll be my next take. That'll be the next Sam's take on the bump, okay? Because no, 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 no. I am in the front car of the Sasha Banks bandwagon and have been, and have been, okay? A lot of people have the blue chalk line Sasha Banks jacket. I got the purple one, okay? A lot of people have that new t-shirt that they just put out with Sasha Banks. I got the gold foil legit boss t-shirt, all right? You're probably sitting there going like, what gold foil legit boss t-shirt? Exactly. Enough said. Enough said. You said it yourself. So I wasn't shocked. I told you going into this that that was going to be the best match on the show, and I believe it was. You could maybe argue Drew Dolph, and I said that was going to be good too. But I think Asuka versus Sasha was the best match on the show. And I was not shocked by that. Um, and the finish, like, here's the thing. When you have Sasha Banks and Bailey involved in the storyline that they're involved in, Sasha Banks can't be currently the best female wrestler on the roster because that would turn her into a good guy. If you're the best, you don't actually have to cheat to win. And if you don't have to cheat to win, people are going to cheer for you. And we can't have that, can we? So, you know, the idea that there's chicanery, look, I think that they did it right in the sense that uh, they didn't actually declare Sasha Banks as the winner. They didn't sit there and say, well, if Bailey puts a referee shirt on, rule bylaw 44B says that she is a referee. Like, you know, that would have been vintage WCW. But the fact that it's just like 
Sasha and Bailey up to their old tricks. And realistically, Sasha lost that match via countout. And Asuka is still the champion. Clearly, it's going to lead to another Sasha Banks-Asuka match. But look, I think that you, you, you have to have finishes like that with this version of Sasha Banks. Sometimes. Not, not in the giant matches, but sometimes. Um, you know, I think that uh, uh, the goal here, and this is why it was successful. I said, you're going to be much better off if you put that title on Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks and Bayley having all the women's gold is a best case scenario right now for WWE. You know, it, and, and it's a best case it's a best case scenario for TV segments. It's a best case scenario for Sasha and Bailey. It's a best case scenario for the long term and the short term. It's just it's really what you have to do. If Sasha Banks does not leave the pay per view Raw Women's Champion and Bailey is still the SmackDown Women's Champion, you've kind of got to accelerate this level of jealousy because you're making a declarative statement that one is better than the other, and you can't do that with it with a with an act that is working this well. So you can't do that. At the same time, do you want to hurt Asuka? Asuka is theoretically your number one good guy women's superstar, right? Charlotte's gone. Bailey's gone. Asuka has to be your unbeatable good guy superstar. So now you've got to get the title off Asuka and get it onto Sasha Banks for the betterment of everybody without making Asuka look like she could lose to Sasha Banks at any time. Because even though you could, you know, the idea that Sasha Banks can beat Asuka is not absurd. Sasha Banks is one of the best wrestlers in the company. But you can't announce that to the world. Because once we look at Sasha Banks as, well, this is somebody that could beat Asuka whenever she wants. She's not that much of a bad guy anymore. So I think that this is what you have to do. A finish like this is required to just put the pieces where they belong. And I also think people love to criticize. People love to criticize. When you, and expectations are a hell of a thing. When you walk into Extreme Rules and you look at what this card is and you really kind of pay attention to where we're at with WWE right now, you can't possibly be expecting one of the great pay-per-views of all time. You can't. You can't. I know you're sitting there going like, this is WWE. This is the top game in town. And there is no excuse that they shouldn't put their best foot forward on pay-per-view every single time. And while that's true, we're also smart enough as wrestling fans to know that when you've got Rey Mysterio versus Seth Rollins in an eyeball for an eyeball match, you can't sit there at the end of it and go like, I can't believe how cheesy that was. Really? You can't believe how cheesy an eyeball for an eyeball match was? Because I could believe how cheesy it was. You know why? Because you can't do an eyeball for an eyeball match without being cheesy. My expectations going in were, I am prepared for a cheesy finish. I wanted a, a different one. I wasn't thrilled with the finish. But I also wasn't like, you gotta be kidding me. His eyeball's out of his head? Like, of course it is. What did you think was gonna happen? You know? And the same goes for, for most of these matches. This isn't WrestleMania, you know? This isn't a hard reset. Look at, it, it's how you look at your narrative structures. Every pay-per-view, while it should be, is not always 
the end of a chapter. It's certainly not always the end of a book. Because maybe this, I mean, a lot of these, uh, they some of them probably weren't even the end of a chapter, to tell you the truth. But they were the beginning. You know, this, Extreme Rules felt more like a great Saturday night's main event level special than one of the big pay-per-views. But Horror Show at Extreme Rules is not one of the big pay-per-views. It's not like it's, it wasn't SummerSlam. If we go into SummerSlam and we see some stuff like this where it's just like, hey, schmaz, 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 watch Raw, then it's like, what are we doing? SummerSlam is like one of the most important events of the year. But I don't think you're going to go into Horror Show at Extreme Rules going, okay, this is where it's all going to come together, you know? Um, so that's where I landed on uh, Sasha and Asuka. Uh, Drew versus Dolph was what it was. It was a good match from two good performers. You know, I wasn't hugely invested in the story. You know, Drew McIntyre beat up Dolph Ziggler every week on Raw leading to the pay-per-view, and then he beat him on the pay-per-view, of course. At no point did I even think for a moment that Dolph might be the one to take the title off Drew. I thought Dolph did what Dolph does, and he did it well. But clearly this was, you know, a lily pad to hop on on our way to SummerSlam. That's all. And it was what it was. It was a good match. It was entertaining. Um, Let's get into the Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio eyeball for an eyeball match. Uh, where the only way to win is to tear your opponent's eyeball out of their head. Uh, look, this is all-time WWE wackiness. You know, that's just, I mean, it's its what this match is. And it's what this match was going in. I don't think they ever tried to make it seem like it was going to be anything besides WWE wackiness. And I'm okay with that. I like WWE wackiness, especially when you're calling the pay-per-view horror show. But, like, literally, I wanted... I would have been okay if Rey Mysterio's fake eyeball, I mean, like, to me, okay, here is where the eyeball for an eyeball match messed up. They didn't commit 100% to the bit. If you're going to do the bit, if you're going to do something as dumb as an eyeball for an eyeball, you have to commit 100% to the bit. And to me, we maybe hit 70, you know? We live in a world of professional wrestling. Literally anything can happen. A guy's eyeball can get popped out of his head and his opponent can throw it across the arena. And in three weeks, the guy can say, well, a doctor put it back into my head and now it works again. And we as wrestling fans will buy it. If you sell it to us in the right way, we'll buy it, okay? When people go, oh, what were your favorite uh, uh, gimmicks growing up? Like, what were your favorite moments growing up? They go, Jake Snake Roberts versus Rick the Model Martel blindfold match. It was a terrible match, and it was built on the fact that Rick Martel's cologne was also a blinding agent. It left Jake the Snake Roberts permanently blind to the point where they put in contacts so it looked like his eyes were rolled up in the back of the head because he doesn't need them anymore because he's permanently blind. And then one day he got cured, and it was fine. Some of the best angles ever are blinding angles. The Sandman in ECW. Blinding angle. Great. If they're going to go all the way and say, this is an eyeball for an eyeball match. The only way to win is to take your opponent's eyeball out of his skull. Nobody who's over 10 years old thinks that an eyeball is legit coming out. 
Nobody. And most 10-year-olds, I mean, if your 10-year-old thinks that an eyeball is going to come out of a skull, it's like, come on, bro. By eight, you should have figured out that we're not, a guy's not going to lose his eyeball. But it doesn't matter because we're watching wrestling. We're watching entertainment. Let's let the story unfold. I was listening to some people going like, well, you know, uh, the eyeball didn't come all the way out of the skull because Rey Mysterio hasn't signed yet. And if he does sign, then they'll put the eyeball back in. It's so stupid. As if, as if you can't, in wrestling, have a guy's eyeball come out of his skull and then put it back into his skull two weeks later. Of course you can. They're not waiting to see if Rey Mysterio re-signs his contract to find out if they're going to put his eyeball back in his head storyline or not. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. Did you see where this goes, man? Here's my problem with the match. Rey Mysterio's eyeball should have popped out of his head and rolled across the floor. We should have had that eyeball in clear view. Not CGI. Get a prop. Get Lloyd Kaufman and Troma Films over there and get them to give you a prop eyeball. Get a little bit of blood on the end of it. Get a little vein or something on the end of it and have that eyeball roll across. Have him do that. You could do the exact same finish. Have him, you know, pop that eyeball out on the corner of the stairs somehow and let that eyeball roll all the way from one side of the ring to the other. Let the camera follow it the whole time. I mean, if you're going to go absurd, go absurd. Have Seth Rollins pick up that eyeball like a jawbreaker. I mean, if I'm doing this, I'm going like, look, okay. I think Seth Rollins should lose this match because putting an eye patch on a heel Seth Rollins is like the best thing you could ever do. The second best thing you could ever do is instead of Seth Rollins vomiting at the sight of Rey Mysterio secretly losing his eye, even though we didn't really see it, what if Rey's eye pops out of his head and rolls across the floor and then Seth Rollins takes it and he has it as a trophy and he puts it in a little, tiny little leather satchel that he can wear around his neck and everywhere he goes, he wears Rey Mysterio's eyeball. That's what I would have done. Go all the way. And then Ray's got to come out and he's blind. And Dominic is like holding his hand, walking him to the ring and everything. That's where you go. Have Ray be blind. And then all of a sudden, you could go to SummerSlam and go, hey, guess what? I got computer eyes put in my head. Oh, now Seth Rollins is in trouble. Who cares? You know, if you just tell this, if you just commit, if you commit fully, I'll buy it. Computerized Rey Mysterio versus Seth Rollins. Let's go. Let's do it. You know, like, what? why live in this world that we're in? Let's jump into wrestling world. Let's get back there. You know, I love it. But I don't know. Maybe they want, because it's not realistic like no doctors watching that going like oh my god did they just put that man's eye out of his head it's just it, it's entertainment so if you're going to do entertainment let's go all the way the same way a horror movie would in a horror movie they take a sledgehammer to a watermelon and go that was the guy's skull and you're like oh cool you know like that's what we're watching i'm okay with it but that was my thing with it and then of course the swamp fight look i thought the swamp fight was uh uh well done like, you know, all those cinematic matches are. Um, 
I thought big pop for Alexa Bliss. I think that that's a real good spot for her, uh, hypothetically. Um, honestly, I said before that I, I thought Roman uh, uh, Braun should turn heel and follow The Fiend and Bray Wyatt, and I, I still think that 100%. You know? I think if you had Braun as a heel being seconded by Sister Abigail Alexa Bliss, like Alexa Bliss all in black with the with the stuff on her and everything with the with the st stuff over her face and whatnot. Like Sister Abigail Alexa Bliss, that's her new character. And she is Braun's manager for lack of a better term. And she accompanies him to the ring and you just never know where Bray is. Bray is always watching cuz he's kind of the father over this psychotic cult family. To me that's the only way you go because the problem with the uh, Swamp Match for me that I didn't have with the Firefly Funhouse is I'm just not terribly invested in the Braun Strowman story because we're not going much deeper because maybe there isn't that much deeper to go, but we're not going much deeper than, hey, remember Braun used to be in the Wyatt family? That's literally it. We're not exploring anything else except like we... Uh, God bless WWE. They figured out that, well, we he was on Mixed Match Challenge for a little bit. We could bring Alexa Bliss in. But other than that, I mean, if you're going to do it, you got to do it the way you did with John Cena. You got to go, like, the only way to really do this, if you're going to do it real life, is to do the John Cena stuff. And to do the John Cena stuff, you'd have to go in and say, like, hey, Braun, remember when you were more over than Roman Reigns and they still wouldn't give you the title? Hey, Braun, remember when you were supposed to be the guy and you won that battle royal in Saudi and you got the green title and everything and they still didn't make you the guy? Hey, Braun, remember when you were the Money in the Bank winner and Brock Lesnar just threw it in the gutter? Like, like get into all the failures of Braun Strowman. If we're going to do it, we got to do it. Hopefully, that's what we're going to do leading into SummerSlam. Because um, I, 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 The Fiend is like, He's my favorite. Bray Wyatt's one of my favorites of all time. And it's just like this, this doesn't do it for me because there's not any depth to it. No depth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I found I found Extreme Rules overall to just be entertaining. It was a good, easy Sunday watch. It was not a uh oh, let's make a list of the top pay-per-views of the year by any stretch, but it was it was still fun. It was a fun, entertaining watch. And it leaves me going, okay, as we head to Monday and we head to Friday. There are stories being told here. I want to know what's going to happen with some of these characters. So, you know, I would say that's successful. All right, guys. We got a couple of things to do as we celebrate episode 300 of Not Sam Wrestling. First thing we're going to do, it's a big show. So why not have the big show on it? Episode 300, it's a big show. So the guest should be the big show. Uh, then we're going to open it up to a Q&A. If you saw the tweet that I sent out on Sunday, I announced that the podcast would be a day late and that I do a Q&A. And I don't do that many of these. Um, but I put in, if you hashtag not Sam 300, I will answer your questions. And I've got a bunch of them that I will answer uh, after we hear from the big show. So th this interview uh, did take place on Jim Norton and Sam Roberts on Sirius XM, uh, along with my co-host Jim Norton. Uh, but... I thought that I really wanted to share this one with you guys just because the big show is just such a wealth of information. He's just such, it got so much wrestling in him. 
You know, he's one of the guys that I could sit there and interview for hours and hours and hours. And one day I would absolutely love to do that. But the stuff that I really loved about this interview was his insight on Brock Lesnar. Because he gives some takes on Brock Lesnar that you don't hear too often. So, without uh, further ado, let's bring on the guest for episode 300 of Not Sam Wrestling. Originally aired on Sirius XM's Jim Norton and Sam Roberts. Weekday mornings, channel 103. Here he is. Well, it's the big show. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. Speaking of Netflix, I mean, of all the spots to get a new series, Netflix would be the spot. And uh, this is a man who's got his own Netflix show. The Big Show Show Hello, is sir. on Netflix. And there he is. What's going on, man? How you doing? Sam, how are you guys? What's going on? Good. I haven't seen the beard yet. Uh, is that just a is that just a uh, a pandemic thing, or or is this something you wanted to do before? Uh, no, it's funny. Um, during the show uh, film in Netflix, my youngest little co-star Juliet Donafield, um, I called her my little monkey because in between takes she was always uh, climbing on me like a jungle gym, but she would pull on my goatee. You know, and she says, what if you grew it really long? I says, I can. It would take me about two days. She goes, oh, you've got to. <laughs> so that was the uh, that was the thing. I, I grew it out after our show wrapped. And uh, I saw her at Christmas, her and uh, Lily Brooks and uh, Ray Lynn. I took them to an Ariana Grande concert in Anaheim. So she was just enthralled at how long my beard is. But uh you know, during this pandemic time, it's it's been a little bit of a headache with with masks and and everything else that's going right. on. Um, believe me, I, I'm I'm thinking about bringing back the King Kong Bundy look at some point. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, shaving the eyebrows off too. <laughs> yeah, just how, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> how angry are people who get stuck behind you at an Ariana Grande concert? How angry is some? Like, oh yeah, teams? they were. You know, it's funny because I was standing right up in the front row. I had a good friend of mine that for tickets. A good buddy of mine, Rashad, and um, he's like a, a tour manager with her. So he hooked us right up, and uh, there were literally like moms and and stuff behind me. Like we can't see. I'm like, well, okay. So I tried to get off to the side as much yeah. as I could and let the girls enjoy the show and. Uh, I was really amazed at how uh, incredible her voice was to be so tiny. Cause I didn't yeah. realize Ariana Grande is just like, she's just this little bitty thing, but her voice was so powerful. I actually uh, went there like most of the dads that were there. You could see all of us making eye contact, even though I'm a TV dad uh, for the girls, but uh, they had an amazing time and I, I left becoming a fan. So it might be in my uh, iPod playlist for uh, cardio. How great would that be to see the big show doing cardio at a gym and going like, oh, I wonder what he's listening to. I wonder what's getting them all fired up. Like, is it ACDC? Yeah. Is it Metallica? Listen, it's like, got to be you something. Know, ACDC or uh, Dio and um, <laughs> yeah. Ariana Grande with seven rings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Next. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. So, that's cool. That's what motivates me. me. <laughs> you do cardio. Uh, are you still doing cardio like all the time? Because, oh, uh, yeah. Man, you know, starting now with a madman. Uh, I just did. Uh, last night was one of my uh, bigger bike rides in the week. It was uh, 25 miles last night. So it was wow. 25 miles at uh, uh, almost 11 miles an hour, and it was 20, 
700 calories in that one ride. Oh, wow. How many, how many hours is that for you to do that? Uh, it took me about two hours and 30 minutes, I think. So Man. it's, uh, and I usually do at least, at least 15 a day in the afternoon. And I started a new thing with my actual workouts. Um, it was an assault bike because I'm starting to wrestle again. So I'm trying to get the wrestling cardio up, which is a little hard unless you work. But uh, the fan bikes, I do a, a two minute sprint in between my sets working on that. It's just been beating me to death. It's almost like being in a match because you're, you're lifting, you're pushing or pulling, whatever your exercise is. And then you're on this fan bike for a sprint. The first five or six are pretty easy, I think. But when you start getting into that, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15th one, you know, which ends up turning to like 30 minutes of two, uh, two minute sprints. Yeah. I'm, I'm sucking the dirt up off the floor. I'm breathing so hard. Like I'm afraid I'm going to breathe too hard and swallow my mask. You know, <laughs> is there anything that sucks more than a Versa climber? Than a Versa climber? Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm too tall for that. You know, that's, oh, you can't use them. You can't really use it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like, for me, it'd be like, Hey, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, one of the cardio machines that I think uh, there's a strider that's really good as far as no impact for joints and stuff. But the one that I see, um, uh, the stair climber, uh, the ones with oh. the revolving stairs. Yeah, just horrible. going and going and going. That to me would just, that to me would be my idea of hell. To sit there and climb stairs for like, you know, an hour. Like I would be so mad by the time I got, I hate stairs. Like, yeah. You know, the next house I have, I want to make sure it's like uh, one level, uh, yeah. uh, no stairs. A ranch. You want a ranch? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah nice, ranch nice long, yeah. like, yeah. Ranch like three acre like, ranch house. Uh, yeah, and, and a hoverboard that holds my weight so I can just hover around. <laughs> do your well, legs I mean, give you a hard it, time? Sorry, Sam, being, being a big dude, because you, 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 are your legs, they say for tall people, the legs sometimes are, are a problem. Well, I've been through hell the past couple of years. Um, I had uh, six hip surgeries in the past two and a half years. And, and that's why I had dropped off the face of the map a little bit, but it also gave me an opportunity to partner with Netflix to do the TV show. So like I was finally, when I got everything straightened out, I was back on set like about two months after my last hip surgery. So uh, uh, I can see parts of the show where um, I wasn't moving quite that well. You know, the days were long, uh, mm-hmm. but we're in a lot better I'm in a lot better position than I am now. A lot stronger, a lot healthier, and and, and no pain. So, uh, after Dude. dealing with that for four years, it's it's really nice not to have any pain. So I like it's, to find something else to be grumpy about. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing watching you now because I mean, like you said, you're wrestling again, and you're really right. wrestling. You're not doing like you know, yeah. you know, thirty second. I'll just do my choke slam and not take any bumps and be able to get out of there, and everybody can still just see how big I am. Like you're actually right. having matches. You got a match on Monday, and like guys your size, especially in wrestling, especially when you went years and years and years going every single night, like you shouldn't even be able to walk right now, let alone be wrestling full matches and be in the best shape. I mean, this is the best shape I've ever seen you in since your first WCW run. I think it's the best shape I've ever been in since WCW, you know, um, just the way I feel. Um, I mean, it's still the, the biggest thing I think gets to me is the, is how long the TV days are. I mean, you guys have been to a Raw and been backstage, and, you know, there's hours and hours of standing around and doing absolutely nothing, just waiting and waiting. I think that's something I've got to uh, 
acclimatize myself to again, get used to again. But the actual in-ring work stuff is feeling great. Um, but, you know, it's like, I mean, if you saw Taker's um, last ride series, you know, there mm-hmm. there is a, a rust that needs to get knocked off. And the only way you do that is by getting in there and going for it. A lot of it's taking your mind out of it. Because, uh, you know, when you've had injuries and you're coming back, sometimes those things linger in the back of your mind. You just got to somehow put that to the side and just go do it. And then your body knows what to do and your instincts know what to do. And then you're having fun. You know, I, I think uh, a couple months ago, I did a thing where I came in with uh, Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe with the AOP and all that stuff. And um, I had to take that double powerbomb bump from those two great guys and, all day long, I'm sweating it, Sam. I'm just like, oh, man, you know, double power bomb bump, you know. Like, it's yeah. going through my head all day like I'm like I'm free climbing a, a, a cliff or something, you know. And then I, I get up in the position for the double power bomb, and my body is like a piece of steel. I'm so tight. I'm stressed. I'm, my jaw is tight. Ugh. And as soon as I took the bump, I went, oh, you puss. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it was just, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you, you know forget. Yeah. You know, it's like I was I was a civilian for so long for so many months. And then, I, and then after I took that big bump, I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine. I know what to what, do. What what is that that you're describing? A double power? I don't know what that is. Um, basically, I was on sitting on both of them shoulders, and they both gave me a power bomb. So oh, okay, because it took two what? of them to do it. You know, so yeah, uh, that's the logic behind it. I'm not really the big show anymore. I'm more like your. Uh, your streamlined um, uh, medium show. So All right. <laughs> who who would you say you've been in the ring like with Beast? Obviously, you've been in. Well, you've been in the ring with Brock Lesnar before and after oh, yeah. MMA. Yeah, I worked was Brock there a difference? every night for like a year and a half. People forget the SmackDown era. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was there a difference in Brock after he came back from UFC than Brock before he went to UFC when when you were um, in the ring with him? Just his um his his confidence level and understanding who he was as a talent i mean brock always had confidence and always understood you know what he brought to the game it's just the second go around that he came back um it was sharpened it was fine-tuned a lot there's not there's there's zero waste in what brock does now that he's come back you know what i mean because a lot of times before he was doing the incredible moon salts and, and all the things right. that he was doing before now he's very direct and to the point, and I think his character is on fire. I mean, you know, just uh, he brings that uh, main event level of excitement um, back to some of the matches. And uh, I love his backstage game. I tease him all the time. I said, you've got the best backstage game since Hulk Hogan. And like, you know, when Hulk Hogan used to walk backstage, people would go, oh, there's Hulk. They would whisper and, you know, yeah. Brock's backstage. I've seen guys like flatten themselves against the wall because Brock's walking down the middle of the hallway. I just laugh. Like, you know, your backstage game's on point, bro. You're unshakable. So. Yeah. When he was he was he when he was young, like when he shows up to WWE, right? And you guys like now he's a, then he's a kid, and you and the rest of the guys have been there forever. Did he still try to have that sort of was any of that intimidation factor there? Because it's not. I mean, he's coming from no, the NCAA. No, it and wasn't because Brock. Uh, Brock was just, he was just hungry back then. Mm-hmm. He was hungry and he was excited and he wanted to, uh, he literally wanted to have the best match on the card every night, whatever it took, um, which sometimes is a great motivator. And then sometimes you have to understand um, 
what you are as a talent and what you bring to the table. I mean, I ran into the same kind of thing, nothing on his level because he's an incredible athlete, but you know, I always want to go out and have these great, exciting matches. And sometimes that's not what my character should do. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. You got to understand where you are on the card and who you're working and, and what's the ultimate goal. So uh, I think that's one thing that uh, has changed about him is he knows exactly what he brings to the table. And he knows that when he sells for someone, it makes them, mm-hmm. uh, it, it it shines a new light on that talent and he's really good about doing that. So there are guys backstage who like literally all the other wrestlers will look at and go like, ah, fuck, I can't, I can't approach that person. Oh yeah. 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 They're terrified of Brock. I love it. You know, you can just like people like I've seen guys backstage with like hold their breath when Brock walks by and I'm just laughing because he is literally one of the, I mean, if he's your friend, he's one of the coolest guys on the planet, but he's got a zero, a zero BS factor. He's there to, uh, to do his job and make money and get home. You yeah. know, because that's, that's what, that's respectable. What, huh? When you talk about Brock's backstage game, he doesn't do anything to relax people. Like if he no. catches that vibe that everybody's like, okay, that's the vibe we're going to be. I'm going to, you, you're going to hold your breath when I yeah. walk by. That's why, that's why I say his game's so strong. Like, yeah, he keeps yeah. everybody on a nervous edge, you know, like, and then people that haven't worked with him, and you see some of his matches and they look so violent and like, oh my gosh, but everything's safe. Everything's flat. Everything's good. Yeah. You know, but he's got that backstage game. Now, you know, he'll probably be pissed that I'm stooging off his backstage game. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I got to. He's a good dude. I think people, uh, people don't give that guy enough credit how smart he is for this business, too, because what he's been able to do and what he's been able to inject, um, He's really, really a smart guy that understands his role and understands what he brings to the table. And that's a, that's a unique skill set. What's the, what's the most nervous or the scariest thing that you've had to think about, like right before you go out there? Cause you've been involved. I mean, I was thinking about you last night and whether it's stuff with Brock or whether it's you coming back to take that double power bomb or whether it's you telling Floyd Mayweather, I need you to punch me in the face as hard as you can, yeah. or you, you know, <laughs> fighting Hulk Hogan on the roof of an arena, which if you have heights, if you have a heights issue, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. Um, what is the most scared or nervous you've been before you've gone out to do something? It's funny is I'm nervous before every match going down the ramp. I have butterflies in my stomach. I have that, that buildup of adrenaline and anticipation. Um, that's part of the magic. And it's part of why at my age, I'm still going out there and working hard with this younger talent is because I, I thrive on that uh, adrenaline rush. As far as fear, I think the only time I've had like true fear in this career is probably uh, just dealing with the uh, the hip injuries. I know the match mm-hmm. that I had right before I really got straightened out was um, the six man with me in the bar against New Day. And uh, one, the device I had in my hip at that time had broken, so it bent. And uh, it was excruciatingly painful. And um, we had already advertised the match, the whole deal that was going to happen. And uh, I remember telling uh, Woods at the start of the match, I said, I can't move. Just give me a tackle. I can't move. You know, and that was the one thing that I was afraid of, that I would uh, uh, basically fall on my ass in front of everybody and really stooge off the fact that I was 
uh, hurt a lot more than I said I was. Uh, let's face it. I mean, uh, I don't think anybody would have put me in that position if they'd have known. Well, I didn't know that the, the device was broken. I just knew that it was extremely uncomfortable at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the only time that I've been like uh, afraid of uh, something happening. But other than that, no, it's just a typical uh, adrenaline rush of performing and wanting to do well and uh, um, calm before the storm kind of a thing. So do you, have you ever theater. had matches where you're like, this is not going well. I stink right oh, now. God, like, yeah. Where you're you like, I'm <laughs> terrible right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm the drizzling turds right now. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a match that actually Dave Batista and I had that wasn't a bad match. Uh, psychology wise, but it was just the wrong two guys. And it was us. We were having an ECW match at the Hammerstein ballroom and they just didn't want any part of us at that time. You know, and it was so frustrating because you're sitting there and Dave and I are having a good match, but they just, ECW fans at the time, um, I hadn't earned their respect yet and they didn't want to see us. We were, we were the enemy. We were raw and SmackDown guys on their show. So um, that's one that I, I can go back and honestly look at and go, yeah, that, that wasn't it. I, I wish I could have just rolled the ring up and just put it over my head. And, <laughs> and you know, I mean, how is that, is that what happened? Like you have to know pretty quickly that, oh no, oh, yeah. this isn't going to work. It. You can feel it when things aren't working. You can feel it sometimes. Usually that happens when you first work with a guy because um, they don't know you. You're trying to feel them out. A lot of times that doesn't get to happen on a live event where you can adjust and, and really correct things. A lot of times the first time you work with a guy is on Monday Night Raw and um, you've got a live TV segment and you've got to hit commercials and you've got to hit your times and sometimes it just doesn't work. Either the fans don't like the combo or for whatever reason that night your chemistry and the other guy's chemistry isn't working. So I think that happened a lot more earlier in my career. Um, I think as I was able to get older and a lot more confidence and settle things down, um, I'm a lot calmer in those situations now. So uh, Kevin Dunn's not having to constantly hit the bleep button during my match or just turn the <laughs> microphones and the corners off. So I've matured a little bit. Because you're, you're just sitting there screaming curses on network television. Oh, yeah, left and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was bad. Like Kevin pulled me aside, and like you know, hey, for about five minutes of your match, I had to turn the ring mics off. Like you know, <laughs> we couldn't shoot your face. You know that kind of a thing. Like, I was like, yeah. So uh, with age comes maturity. So there you go. Is bombing for a wrestler? Is it when you when you said that they weren't interested? You can just feel the energy is not there, or do you kind of see them looking around or? What, you feel like no, they're, they're not chin, You suck. Yeah, yeah. That's oh. what they do. <laughs> okay. There's no, there's no guessing of what it was. Oh. It's, it's just, to the point. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're going. Hey, you suck, and you can't go out there and be like, uh, security. Yeah, can somebody? You these stop these hecklers. Come on, are... Guys, I'm doing the best I can here. Okay. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. You, know, you just. And, and that's the thing too is you've got to. Sometimes you're able to turn that tide. If you don't put it over and don't sell it and stay focused, you can get crowds back. You can't. Have you, know, you had I've had to go in O2 Arena from calling me you fat wanker to you still got it on the same <laughs> night. So that's you know. that's impressive. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty. I mean, the the, the UK fans are always great because they always let you know. So um, they yeah, don't let you come yeah. by with any. Uh, uh, they haven't seen you in a while and they want your best. 
And you can't you get you also can't let on how bothered you are because nobody wants to pay money to see the big show have hurt feelings. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, you can't sell it because that's the that's the one thing that you can't do as a talent unless you're a heel. Now, right. If you're a heel, sure, you can sell it and have fun with it. You know what I mean? Um, if you're trying to get someone else over as a heel in cell form, you just got to put your head down, work harder, sell more, uh, try to get the other guy to be more aggressive and uh, pull them back to your side of the, of the park bench. You know what I mean? Pull them over he, your side and let them get invested in your match. You know, and sometimes that's able to do Sometimes it's not. Have you had moments where you're supposed to have this great moment at the end of a match, like whether it's winning a championship or just winning the match in general? And the idea mm-hmm. is that everybody's supposed to cheer or react in some way. And you know going in, this is not going to work. And then you were right. It doesn't work. And you're like, I, I told no, you. I've had, just I the, t- I've had just the opposite actually happen. I've had arguments with Vince McMahon for um, doing stuff, and, and and like like right up to my music hitting, I'm still at the curtain arguing with Vince. Like this is this is not going to work. They're going to crap all over me. I'm dead. You know, I'm going to be park, park, parking shopping carts at Walmart. You know, <laughs> this is not going to work. You know, and it's funny as I'll go out there and. and do what I, was, what I was told to do, do my job and put real effort into it and real commitment behind what we were doing. And sometimes it's turned to be about some of the best stuff I've ever done, you know? So yeah. I've had, uh, I've had that fortunate been proven wrong. Um, my, you know, and I've had what, uh, I think 734 heel face turns. <laughs> I don't know the number. I'm being sarcastic, but you know there were a lot of times that I was actually confused on what we were doing, and I would have to look at Vince. Am I smiling or angry face now? Because you know, I don't know. Am I healer for what am I? You're a giant. That's helpful. Thank you. That's helpful. That's helpful. I, I, all right. Well, here we go. We'll give this one a shot. We'll see what happens. You know, and then your instincts take in, and you figure out what you need to do. So. Um, How hard is it to knock off ring rust in the environment that we're in right now? Because for you to come back to empty arenas or, you know, to have, you know, 12 people in the audience and no live events either. So everything you do is on television. It's not it's not the amount of people I would say. Yes, that's a nice cushion. And I've said before, I think our product, once we get crowds, live crowds back, I think our younger talent is going to be better than ever. This is a great time for younger talent to work in an environment where they have to focus on their opponent, focus on the mm. psychology of their match, and deliver. Not do a move, pander to the crowd, do a move, pander to the crowd. That's an easy way to do things. You know, you're filling time and you're not you're not executing what you need to execute. Uh, this is forcing talent, just like in the '70s and the '80s, when Flair and and Arn and all those guys had to work those small local television markets, you know, to put something on air so that people would come and buy live event tickets, you know, because a lot of times those studio audiences might have what, 25, 30 people in it. You know, it's a small TV station in Rome, Georgia or or whatever. Um, But it made them understand their craft and how to work towards the camera and work to the audience at home. Um, I think that uh, once we get crowds back, I think you're going to see, uh, I've already seen a markedly improved 
uh, for my talent since the start of this, since before WrestleMania. And, and then when we started doing the no crowds and trying to get by from that WrestleMania going forward, I've actually seen the, the matches progressively get more innovative, get better. Um, uh, the lack of shortcuts that were taken before the live audience aren't there because the shortcuts don't work. You know, and it makes what it was better. the shortcut that somebody would take that they just can't take now? Oh, for uh, pretty simple. Uh, during the heat, instead of staying on someone, staying vicious, you know, they would give someone a uh, a move, a body slam, or something. Then turn to the crowd, like yeah, oh. that's filler. That's it's uh, you know, it's 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 not. It, as soon as you take your eyes off your opponent and turn your back to your opponent and look at the crowd, there's no threat of injury or jeopardy to the guy on the ground. You know, right. so right. The, if you're getting heat, you look at Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar doesn't pan to the crowd. Brock Lesnar looks like a shark circling like bait. That's how a heel operates. It's, it's focused on the talent in the ring. Cause as soon as the, your eyes are taken off your opponent, there's no threat of jeopardy for the opponent. And that's one thing that heels can't do now to get a reaction because yeah, sometimes as a heel to get a reaction, you have to turn up the cardio. You have to turn up the intensity and doesn't mean turn up the speed intensity is just what it means it's intensity and uh you have to win them that way so if you don't have the crowd to to have them to chant or to take a shortcut that way you know yeah that's just one that's example i don't think it's stooging off the secrets of the business but anyway stooging Brock off i'm sorry it means blabbing about it or shitting on it what's that stooging stooging off yeah yeah that means blabbing about it Blab okay you've been around this business you don't know what stooging means I've never been around the business. No, Sam is. <laughs> I'm Sam's fiance. <laughs> Sam, you got smart in this guy. Have you taught him Carney yet? I uh, no, he doesn't know. He doesn't know Carney. Right. I'm, I'm trying to. He's not ready. He's not ready. He's not ready to learn all the secrets yet. You know, he's, not ready to learn he's all still in that. Yet. No, no, no. He no, still no. has that, still... that that nice virgin mind. So we need to. Yeah. Keep that pure. Yeah, I'm still protecting the business. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. want to know the ins and outs. I just want to sit down and enjoy. That's all I do. There you yeah. go. Yeah. I appreciate. He's still. That. He's still yeah, the kid in wrestling is, school uh, who's getting his legs broken. is like a tattletale, you know what I mean? Something like that. Like somebody like you, uh, you're stooging something off. Like the hall monitor that would tell the teacher that you were late to class or something. Right. That's a okay. so same kind of thing. When, when, you were a, when you were a younger man, because I mean, you, I feel like must have had a real trial by fire wrestling career just in terms of getting along in the locker room because you came right. in immediately with no experience as – Hogan's friend and went straight to the main event. So I mean, it's right. literally in terms of making friends, the oh, worst way heat, you could possibly. I was a heat-seeking missile. Yeah, I was a right. heat-seeking missile. Yeah, yeah. Right. Plus, you were a giant, which means that you're gonna get a. You were a giant who could move, which means you're gonna get a lot of opportunities. Uh, what was? What do you think was like the cardinal mistake that you would make, or what was the thing that you would do that would really piss off your coworkers? before you uh, think, matured um being too comfortable you know um i think yeah i got there yes I, w I would work hard yes i would listen to the veterans in the match but uh i think i got too comfortable i flew home after nitros with hulk on the plane you know um i was in main events every night i was winning most of my matches all the time you know, so yeah, I was having a great time. I was on top of the world, but I wasn't, I don't think I realized um, at that time, there was no way for me to realize 
uh, the amount of work that a lot of guys have put in to get to that point. You know, I mean, and I can't, you know, it would have been sure on one hand would have been great to do a territory run to learn how to work in a territory and define my skills. And then when I made it to the main stage, uh, be a seasoned performer uh, like I am now, that, that would have been wonderful. But at the same time, I don't know anybody that's in this business that if would have had the opportunities that I had, there was it. No, I, I can't take that opportunity. I, I need to, uh, I right. need to go work through territories first. Like, I mean, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I get it. You know, but at the time, yeah, it was a little bit of a, a unique factor. I was a young kid, super athletic, long hair, giant, could do anything you asked me to do, uh, you know, and I liked having uh, fun, you know, and I think that's the only thing that through time and adversity and even Vince, you know, pissed me off so bad back in the day. Even Vince, he sent me to Louisville for 10 months. I mean, I'm hauling. Like Jim Cornette wanted me to haul the ring around behind my truck. My truck was worth more than this whole friggin' territory. Like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm not pulling a ring behind my truck. Like, I mean, but, you know, set the ring up in the afternoon. Those are experiences that I should have gotten to start with that I didn't get. That I had to go from being WWE champion in WrestleMania and, and you know, the four way WrestleMania with Rock and Mick Foley and everybody. And then go to Louisville and wrestle in front of seven people at an OVW show and haul a ring around and set it up at high schools and churches and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, it tested my commitment. It tested uh, why am I in this? Why am I doing this? And uh, it actually, through some of those hardships that I created for myself, um, I actually learned a lot about who I am and, and, and why I really do love this business. So uh, like I said, I've had a lot of fights with Vince. I've been wrong on 99.9% .9 of them. Uh, there's a 0.1% somewhere I was right. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. somewhere. That point, I bet that 0.1% though feels great. Feels when amazing. Right yeah. Feels amazing. Yes. Yeah, feels amazing. How great is it too, to be in an era where you can do a show like this on Netflix? Cause the first thing, like as a wrestling fan, because you're playing yourself on the show. I mean, it's, no, you know, it's dramatized you. Of, I'm playing the character, I guess, the big show. I guess Babyface right. Big Show at home. So there you go. Right. But but you're a retired wrestler. And what I didn't know about the show going in, but what I loved once I watched it was they actually just took wrestling seriously and for what it was. Like, you didn't have to pretend to be this wrestling character guy in no, your home no. or like you know you're not going to wrestle with the gym teacher and have a big match or but it's just like like in the first episode when they describe you as an entertainer yeah. i'm like oh okay so this show actually treats wrestling with respect yeah. as as wrestling is and, it, and it's funny it really hit home this whole show because you you struggle as a as a superstar traveling all over the world, being gone four or five days a week, you miss anniversaries, you miss birthdays, you miss holidays. You know, I mean, it happens. It's, it's part of the life you lead. So then when you have all this time, the first thing you want to do is re-interject re yourself into the family. Like, hey, what can we do? What can I do here? And everybody is used to you. They love you, but they're used to doing their own things at their own pace. And then now, there's this gigantic, you know, puppy in a house full of bacon who wants to make the morning breakfasts, who wants to do everything with the kids and wants to be involved with their lives. You know, um, it's, a, it's a little bit too much excitement. And that's part of the fun, because I think that's one of the great things we kept about the show was uh, 
the love that the characters have for one another, the support. Yeah, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and I'm going to fix most of them by the end of the episode. Um, but it's all done with love, you know, and that's the one thing that I want to keep. Because most of the shows now, when you have kids on a show, the kids are real snarky or the parents are dumb. You know, the, the family unit as a core uh, isn't solid. And that's one thing that about our show is the, the family unit. We all have our own little quirks, uh, but the family unit is strong. And that's, that's what I want to do. So you're saying the on roles one, of the people on the show are not formulaic like they are in every other show. The dumb dad, the kids that are like, you know, what you have No, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a big show. It's not like I'm a rocket scientist dad. Right. But I have my moments, <laughs> I think, where, I, where my exuberance um, and my excitement probably and my passion to, to love my family puts me in more complications than anything. Um, but at the same time, just like anything, through communication, uh, through experience, we all learn to adjust to one another. But yeah, the kids are great. I mean, we're dealing with a, you know, it's funny, like Lola uh, Raylan Castor was my daughter, supposedly from a previous relationship. She comes to live with us as a teenager. That kind of happened in my real life. I got custody to my real daughter when um, she became a teenager. She ended up moving in with me. So then trying to interact with her and take the times that we shared you know, when I would see her on different breaks and then now I'm a full-time parent and that anxiety um, was, was really something we brought through on the show too. Cause you try to do too much. Sometimes you can drive your kid nuts. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, uh, on one episode, I noticed you're wearing a pair of Jordan one lows yeah. and the, 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 my sneaker how, game is on point in that show. My sneaker I, game dude, is on point. I, I couldn't believe it because I mean, you'd think for a guy like you, it would be really yeah. tough to find like no, good sneakers. What size? What size Jordan? Uh, eighteen, yeah, seventeen or wow. an eighteen, depending. Yeah, I'm... He froze Big up Show well. froze up a little bit. At least we yeah, got the no, answer. No, I hunt him down. I hunt him down all over. I got friends and and uh, at nike and uh in washington and stuff like that and i got other basketball buddies in there i'm always hunting down always hunting down jordans i yeah I, I definitely like it was funny when you when i did the jordan documentary series i was like i got those i got those <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well uh look guys the big show show uh is on netflix now you can stream the whole season uh, it's a good, it's a family show. So if you're looking for yeah, something yeah. you can sit down and watch with your kids, this yeah. would be it. We're dropping a, we're dropping another episode, August 10th. This is our Olympic episode. It's one of my favorite episodes. So, uh, awesome. this is a fun one where we're competing and you see a lot of personalities of myself and the girls come out and, uh, it's, a it, it's definitely one that'll, that'll make you chuckle. So check it out. And, on now. and yep. the big show is going to be wrestling on Monday. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to see what kind of shape Big Show's in, tune in. He's got a match with Randy Orton on Monday. Yeah. No pressure, right? No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good talking to you, man. Thank you. Thank nice you. talking to you. Thank you All very right. much. Take care. All right. The Big Show, everybody. Here is Sam Roberts. Here he is. And thank you for the Big Show uh, for uh, stopping in to talk to myself and Jim Norton. And allowing that to be a part of Not Sam 300. I think it's a very, very exciting thing. And I love that take on Brock. I don't think people realize how good Brock Lesnar is overall. And he really is. He really is something special. All right. Uh, I opened it up uh, on Sunday. 
I said uh, that we would do a Q&A. Last time I did a Q&A, I think it was uh, hashtag ASS, Ask Sam Something. And that was, at l- that was probably two years ago. I want to say that was two years ago. Um, but I figured for Not Sam 300, we would do it. Of course, we do a lot more of this uh, over on Patreon at patreon.com slash wrestling because everybody has access to the Discord room there. But I open this up to everybody. Let's get to a couple of these uh, before we call it a day. Uh, Rob wants, uh, this isn't even a question. It just says, have the talking shop boys on the show. Well, you know, I've had him on before. Uh, I had him on for Summer Sam, which was, I mean, that was the one. There's the video clip that's around of Gallows doing the Howard Finkel impression, which is incredible. But the whole interview was incredible. I also had Carl Anderson on the podcast before he was in WWE while he was still in New Japan. And we actually ended up being buddies from that interview. Uh, but I really loved that one, and I would love to have them back on. There's just so, again, you want to talk about guys that have a story to tell? Both of those guys individually, and you put them together, it's just amazing. Uh, Sam Banks, I first discovered Not Sam through the wrestling podcast. I never listened to one episode of ONA. Then I subscribed to Sirius to listen to Jim and Sam in its infancy because I love the wrestling podcast so much. That's amazing. So my question is, where did the name Not Sam originate? Hashtag Not Sam 300. Okay, this gets asked a lot, so hopefully somebody records this. Um, the real thing is, a lot of people have uh, not something or other names on social media now. But I was not Sam way before Twitter, way before Instagram, way before any of this stuff. Um, not Sam when I was in college. So this was 15 years ago, or maybe more, maybe 16 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to start a website just to, as a creative outlet, just to get some, you know, write and do terrible photoshops and just whatever, you know. Um, and the first thing I wanted to do was samroberts.com, obviously. But samroberts.com was taken by a guy who makes handbags. Then, which I don't think is up anymore, but I think it's super expensive to get that website. Then I was like, okay, you know what? I need something simple anyway. I need something that rolls off the tongue. So I tried sam.com. Sam.com is clearly taken. I mean, we're in the mid-2000s at this point. You don't think Sam.com was taken in, like, 1994? Yeah, Sam.com was taken. That was dumb. I was like, okay, Sam, well, what's not Sam.com? And I went, not Sam.com. That, literally, that was it. I thought to myself, well, if Sam.com is taking, what could I do that's not Sam.com? And I was like, not Sam.com. And so I checked it, and it was available and I'm, it was as simple as it worked. I liked the way the word Not Sam sounded. I was like, and I could do a radio show and it could be Not Sam Radio. And I could, you, you can put Not Sam in front of anything and it's going to work. So that's really all there is to it. And from there, I just, I liked the name so much that every time I picked up a handle on anything, that was the first thing that I tried to get. Um, and I just, branded everything that I did with not Sam in front of it. It just, that's what the name of my company is. That's what everything is. Um, which isn't the most exciting story in the world, but it's true. <laughs> Dr. Joey says, can we get a captive audience movie commentary of, uh, the Mrs. Marine movies, uh, eventually doing all WWE studio movies would be cool. Also, why aren't the old Coliseum home videos on the network? They are about many of them are. Many of the old Coliseum home videos are on the network. Um, I can't remember which section you have to go into. It's a weird one. 
But they're there. A lot of the ones from like 89, 90, 91, 92 are on there. And I think there's there's a bunch of 93 ones too. You know, I get, because I like, I like, I, I'm still waiting for them to put up like WWF superstars and wrestling challenge from more of 90, 90 91, 92, because they have a lot from 93 up there. But they have a lot of Coliseum home videos up there. Uh, they also just put, and this is something that I am ecstatic about. They put a bunch of the ECW super shows up there. Before ECW was doing pay-per-views, they would do just, they would lead to big live events. And those big live events would be advertised on TV, and then they would put them out as VHS releases. And I have a ton of those master VHS tapes in my house. You know, you'd just get them, you'd order them from ECW TV, and they'd come in like a plain white video box. But, you know, they're amazing. They're now, those shows are now going up on the WWE Network. There's a bunch more that was just added this week, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, and the first question, I think actually that's a great idea. If I could find the time to do it and the right people to do it with, I would definitely watch every WWE studio movie. All the Marine movies, not just the Miz ones, because John Cena was the original Marine. Uh, the Chaperone with Triple H, both Cena evils, the Leprechaun remake. Maybe I should just do them all with Hornswoggle. That'd be entertaining. Speaking of Hornswoggle, this guy's name is Dylan. Dylan, for hashtag NotSam300, wants to know the favorite favorite interview you've done on the podcast, which is a very, well, it's not so much a difficult question anymore. Now, but now it's kind of cheating. Because, I mean, as of now, my favorite interview I've done on the podcast is The Undertaker. But that was just like a month ago. And technically it wasn't even on the podcast, but I put it on the podcast. But the favorite wrestling interview that I've done is definitely The Undertaker. But... If we wanted to go, there are three interviews off the top of my head that I can think of that I loved, loved, loved. And for all different reasons. There was an interview that I did. It was an in-person interview with Daniel Bryan that I did right after his book came out. And when you interview people when they're promoting a memoir, it's the best time to interview them because, you know, when you interview a person, you always have to kind of skew the interview to what they're promoting. So like you heard, as much as we talked about the, with the big show about everything, you kind of at some point have to veer it back towards Netflix and, and put it back into that moment to push people to this Netflix show. But when somebody's promoting a book and it's a memoir of their career, you could just talk to them about everything. Like, hey, in the book, you talk about this. In the book, you talk about that. It's like doing one of these great career retrospective interviews. That's why the Undertaker interview uh, I love doing so much because part of the fact that he's promoting this docu-series means you could talk to him about anything. Um, So Daniel Bryan, the in-person one, and I think I've run it twice on the podcast, actually. I think one week I didn't have an interview and I re-ran that Daniel Bryan interview because I liked it so much. So that's out there. And by the way, all 300 episodes of this show are all available still on the feed for you whenever you want it. Um, so there's that one. My other favorite interview was a phoner that I did with Shawn Michaels. And that one was a great one because he was just promoting, I think he was promoting a signing. And the sometimes the people who have these signings are, they're just a little bit more ambitious. And I like it. I appreciate it. Because the guy that was promoting this signing or appearance or whatever, he contacted me and said, I want to get Sean on some podcasts to promote this signing. Which I was like, that's amazing. I get a chance to interview Sean Michaels and Sean agreed to it. So 
But it was a phoner. And the reason I love that one so much is because that's the interview. That's one interview that has truly stuck with me because that's the interview where I talked to him about retiring and, you know, not coming back and why he's the one guy that didn't. And that was the interview where he talked about his story of his entire career being one story. Like there's just this one from the time that he's in the Rockers with Marty Jannetty until the time that he's wrestling The Undertaker at WrestleMania 26, that's all one fluid story. That's one character that's just evolving over all that time. And like that blew my mind because I didn't even think about that because there aren't many people whose characters span that length of time. But really when you think about it, you know, every step of Shawn Michaels' evolution was piggybacked off the last one. Like for me, once Kevin Nash joins the NWO, Diesel is a separate entity. Even though he acknowledges Diesel when he's Kevin Nash, like Diesel doesn't become Kevin Nash. So you that's not one character. That's a guy explaining the character he was playing before. With Shawn Michaels, it's not like he became the Heartbreak Kid and he was like, well, I used to be a rocker. That was a character that I played, but now I'm the Heartbreak Kid. It was Shawn Michaels is a rocker. And then he starts to develop this ego. And then he starts to feel like Marty Jannetty is not carrying his weight. And then he starts to feel like he can be a, a single star. So he throws Marty Jannetty through a plate glass window. And he starts to embrace that side of his personality. And he walks to the ring with Sensational Sherry. And she sings his song and everything. Then eventually, Sherry's had enough of him. He ditches her. She ditches him. He walks out with Luna Vachon one night, but that was just for WrestleMania 9. But then he realizes he needs a bodyguard named Diesel. And and, and you just watch. And, and even when we get, to, we get to the boyhood dream, it's still the same Shawn Michaels. We get past the boyhood dream into DX. It's the same Shawn Michaels. And, and when he goes home and he comes back, he comes back, he's still that same Shawn Michaels. And when he finds Christ, it's not just the man who's found Christ, but the character as well. Like it's all this one amazing character. It's the same as The Undertaker. The Undertaker that debuted at Survivor Series 1990 is the Undertaker that spans throughout. Even when he's the American badass, he's still that same Undertaker. You know, you could probably say the same about Jericho. And Jericho did it in multiple promotions, which is amazing. You could probably, you could probably say the same about Jericho. Cena, but Cena's a little bit more on the nose. But, and his isn't 30 years, but... Yeah, I mean, there's just not many people that you can say that about. Bret Hart, you could say that about, I guess. Um, and then the third interview uh, I like because it was the first interview that really started to gain some traction. And by the way, anybody that says I've changed since uh, I started working with WWE on the kickoff shows, this interview happened years before I was on the kickoff shows. Uh, and this was really the first time that a lot of people started developing this theory that the Not Sam Wrestling Podcast or the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, which is what it was back then, uh, was actually a planted WWE podcast and that I was a shill. That was the interview that I did with Roman Reigns not too long after the Royal Rumble um, in which he said, the fans can cheer me or they can boo me. I'm still buying a house or whatever it was that he said. But he came across like a heel. And the interview it was the first interview on this podcast that went everywhere. And it was the one that people started going like, well, I think he went and did the podcast so that that's where he would turn heel. And this is like a slow progression and blah, blah, blah. And it was just, 
so funny watching everybody react to it. But those are my my three favorite interviews, I would say. Um, oh, I'm looking at the Discord room at the same time that I look at this uh, hashtag because the Discord room gets priority too. And Front Row says, uh, one of my favorite interviews was the one that you've done was when Undisputed Era was in studio. Yes, yes. That, that I think is worth noting too because the Undisputed Era haven't really done any interviews together like that. And that was a more recent one. But yeah, Undisputed Era having all four guys in studio, that was amazing. That was amazing. Um, and some of the live interviews I've done with, the, the, the live interview that I did with Paul Heyman at Caroline's, I really like that too. Uh, and of course, the Brock Lesnar interview, classic. Uh, Chris says, hashtag not Sam 300. In the future, if The Rock runs for president, do you think he would have a chance of winning and becoming the president of the United States? I really do. One thing Donald Trump has done, uh, whether you like him or not, is he has kind of dismantled the idea that a normal person can't just be the president. Um, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it just is what it is. And he's done this thing where a lot of people are go, would go, well, I mean, The Rock's got to be better than Trump, right? So I really think everybody loves The Rock. Uh, you know, I, 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 yes, I think that The Rock would have a, a actually a very good chance of running for president if he were to run. Not this year or anything like that, but I would say in like maybe eight years, you know, I, I definitely think so. Eight to, in eight to 12 years, I think The Rock could be a contender. Um, okay, we got a couple questions. Oh, a bunch of questions coming in from Khalil. Let me see. Am I going to answer all of them? Um, I'll answer this one. How did you come to live in the UK and did you enjoy your time there? Um, and I'll answer one more question from you, Khalil, too. I can't do because there's so many of them but I'll do two for you. Um, I moved to the UK when I was a kid uh, because of my dad's uh, job. And I lived there for four years. I loved it there. I mean, as a kid, that's where from the ages of four to eight, uh, I was eating, uh, what were they called? I was eating flake bars all the time. You know, I was, uh, I was paying for things in pounds. I was watching WWE on Sky Sports. Went to my first show at Wembley Stadium. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I loved it there. It was a good time. And the other question he asks is, who in WWE do you think slash no listens to the podcast? I don't know. It's always weird when that stuff happens, though. It definitely happens. It happens more than I would think, too, where, like, uh, I'll be doing something. Somebody will reach out. And go like, oh, I heard this or I heard that. Or sometimes it'll be a wrestler that I talked about that'll go like, hey, heard what you said. Luckily, it's usually nice. <laughs> but but yeah, that'll happen. Or like uh, certain producers will hear things or, you know, I've had my little creative ideas and certain people will go like, that was a really good idea. And I'll go, I can't believe you guys are listening. Kind of scares me to tell you the truth. Kind of scares me. Um, Mike says, why haven't we seen part two of your interview with Jeff Jarrett? Because I haven't gotten him down in the Not Sam studio. That's the other interviews that I love. This, the interviews that I've done in this studio, uh, Hawkins, Kurt Hawkins was in here. Jeff Jarrett, one of my favorite interviews. I love the Jeff Jarrett interview. Bruce Pritchard was in here. Uh, there's been a bunch of people that have, Our truth of course. Uh, even uh, uh, Dan Moff, uh, uh, Matt Tremont, um, a bunch of people. Like, I wish... 
things were a little bit safer and I could start trying to figure out how to get more guys into the Not Sam studio. Because I think when that happens, it becomes really, really special. But uh, tweet Jeff Jarrett. If you want that part two, we run, we went through the WWE run. Tweet Jeff Jarrett because we got to do a whole podcast on WCW and then we got to get into TNA too. We got a part two and a part three of the Jeff Jarrett interview that has to happen. So tweet him and let him know if you want it to happen. Um, Mark, uh, hashtag not Sam 300. I'm a wrestling podcaster, but you're a legend in our community. Yeah, well, more people need to recognize that, Mark. Uh, he says, uh, if we get Orton versus McIntyre at SummerSlam, who's walking out champ? I have to believe, I have to believe McIntyre walks out as champ. That Orton's not the guy. I mean, I think Orton is like the first challenger that you can really build up into. He might actually take this title. I still kind of think Bobby Lashley should have taken the title to tell you the truth. But I don't think Randy Orton would take the title. I think that we would go down a road where we could see a scenario where he could, you know, but, you know, I and I don't think he's the right guy for the title. I, I don't think that right now you take that title and you put it on somebody new and fresh like Drew McIntyre. And as good as Randy, like Randy Orton is legitimately one of my favorite performers to watch. And as an individual, me, Sam Roberts, I would love to watch Randy Orton as champion right now. But in terms of for the collective, if I'm if I'm tasked with the creative of a company, I like the idea of having that title on somebody who hasn't had it before and building this run that Drew McIntyre is having. You know, I think that Drew McIntyre has made the most of being champion uh, in this era. The fact that he's had to be a new champion and carry this title with no fans in the audience, I think that he deserves to hold on to it. And 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 kind of run this thing out personally, uh, but I appreciate the I appreciate the compliment, Mark. Uh, let's go to Duster. Duster says favorite pizza toppings. I don't put toppings on my pizza. Cheese. And then he says, "Have you ever snapped into a Slim Jim? If not, annoying eater idea." I feel like no, I have not. But I feel like we got uh, we got that done with the hot dog. By the way, if you'd like to catch up on some annoying eater episodes, they're all available. At youtube.com slash not Sam. And finally, uh, Grim Reaper, thank you for the years of content. I'm a day one for your wrestling podcast. What a ride. Just sending the love. Thank you, buddy. Wow. Yeah, I can't uh, I can't believe how long it's been. And there's no sign of stopping in sight, is there? I appreciate all you guys. Thank you for riding with me for these last 300 weeks. Let's uh, say hip, hip, hooray to 300 more. And I will see you again here. On Not Sam Wrestling. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.